Elvis. Uh, Elvis. There's like a number of stories about him eating a bunch of sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, and welcome to We Should Know Better, the podcast where we hitchhike our way through Wikipedia. I am your host, Knight, and with me is my merry band. I'm Kyle. I'm Sky. Yeah, if you don't know what we do yet, uh, we play a game where we go onto a page of Wikipedia and using the links therein, reach a goal destination. So tonight... I'm just going to go ahead and type in Robin Hood then, right? Is that it? No, no. Nice guess, but not bad. Oh, dang. Uh, it's a different kind of Mary. Oh. So tonight I'm going to have you go from Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. To Mary Shelley. Aww. Aww. Aww, Mary Shelley. This yep. is a great, I'm so excited about this, Tim. It's Mary to Mary. Aww. So we are to very Mary tonight. Very Mary. It's a very, it's a very Mary podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I'm excited about this. So tonight, uh, to decide who goes first, uh, I'm bringing back a game that I had. Uh, we're going to go to our favorite one-stop destination, Mary's, Tyler's, and more. Oh, no. Oh, man. This and good. more? Did you really do that? Yep. Mary's, Tyler's, and more. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's make I, this happen. I have, I have to mention this. There's a, a store in, in my area called Barstools and More. Okay. Oh, but yes. Barstools is written in a very strange cursive that the first time I saw it, it it looked like it said bastards and more. <laughs> yeah, you and I both had that experience. I'm like, separately. What is, like is, yeah. this, is this a bar? Like, this is, I mean, it's kind of a cool name for a bar, I guess, but I don't know what else it would be. And it's like, oh, it's Barstools. <laughs> Which I guess Barstools and more would be an okay name for a bar. Yeah, probably. Two. I mean, it's actually still be a good name for a bar. I, yeah, yeah, scratch that. But it's not a bar. It's a place that sells stools <laughs> and other <laughs> things that you and can more. use for furniture. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I am going to uh, provide each of you going back and forth a clue to a particular uh, person or possibly a thing. And the answer is going to contain either Mary, Tyler or more. Oh, I like it. Uh, so when I read the clue, if it's your turn, first tell me whether it is Mary, Tyler, or more. Even if you don't know, you get a guess. Uh, if you are correct, you get a point. If you can name me the full answer, oh. you'll get another point. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, either time, if you can't, your opponent will get a chance to steal that point. Oh, I'm excited. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, I am flipping a coin to you, decide you know who goes first. Just- you can do this before the show. Like, you don't have to do it well, during the... Well, you're in luck because I prepared this coin before the show. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm slipping it out from beneath my computer. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, and it is Kyle. You are going first today. Yay! Okay. So, <laughs> remember, uh, first first answer is either Mary, Tyler, or more. And then if you can give me the, uh, the exact answer. person or uh, thing I'm looking for, that is another point for you. All okay? Right. That sounds good. All right. Okay, first one. A cook in the early 1900s who is believed to have infected more than 50 people as an asymptomatic carrier of a disease. Oh, it's Mary, and uh, it's yes. Typhoid Mary, if I remember. That's correct. Right. Yes. Yep, Typhoid Mary. Uh, full name was Mary Mallon. Wow. So that's two points that. for Kyle. 
I didn't know she was a cook, but that makes perfect sense. Yep. Okay, she was Sky, like adamant that she there was nothing wrong with her. Like she kept trying right. to get back into the kitchen. Oh and no! Then, like everywhere she goes, she's only there for a few weeks because people get sick, and then she leaves. Right. Then she leaves, <laughs> but she's like, "It's not me." Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's weird. Uh, anyway, all right, Sky. Uh, Mary Tyler or more, creator of Medea. Medea. Hmm. Uh. Oh. Um. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's Tyler, right? Yep. Um, Do you know the full name? Medea. Uh, no, I don't. Can you steal Kyle? Uh, it's Tyler Perry, isn't it? That is correct. Oh yeah, I was. I was Who's, trying to think who I learned tonight. Name. Yeah, Tyler is not his real name. What? Nope. What is it? I forgot. Just a second. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it's, my word for it. It's not his real name. Just believe me, it's not Tyler. Uh, it's Emmett. Oh, wow, that's great. Emmett Perry Jr. is his original name. Hmm. All right, Kyle, you're up. It's currently three to one in your favor. Oh, man. Rock icon known as the Demon of Screamin' and performer of songs including Dream On also starred <laughs> in a disturbing Skittles commercial. Oh, no. <laughs> it's Tyler, but... Uh, oh, geez, what's the guy's... What's what's the name? <laughs> oh, I feel I can't think of it. I can you steal Sky? Uh, <sighs> Spike <laughs> Spike Tyler. Ooh, Spike close. Tyler. Uh, Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. Yes, lead singer of Aerosmith. Oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, Sky, you're up. Film star and model who once famously appeared nude on the cover of Vanity Fair also appeared in the film Ghost. Uh, <laughs> Mary Tyler or Moore? Uh, Moore? That is correct. Do you know the full answer? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle? Uh, it's Demi Moore, isn't it? It is Demi Moore, uh, correct. Okay, okay. All right, Kyle, it's five to two. Uh, brand of stew produced by Hormel Foods. What? Yep. Oh, Tim, I can always count on you to find these questions. Brand of stew. Mary Tyler or more? Let's go with more. That is correct. Whoa, really? I yes. mean, yes, yes, of course it is. <laughs> I you know have, but I'm completely blanking on the other part. I do not know what it is, but I know Sky? what it, I know it should be more. Yes. Uh, chicken and more. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> Dinty more. Dinty more. Okay. okay. Yeah. It fills you up right. Oh, my gosh. According to There's NFL dumb. players in their commercials. Oh, that's what that is. Yep. Dinty more beef stew. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Sky. Public research college in Virginia, second in age only to Harvard in the United States. Uh... Tyler? No. Okay. Kyle? Um, no, I don't have this one. Oh, it's Mary, as in William and Mary. Oh, right. Dang it. Okay. And Kyle, you're up. Okay. It is six to two. Uh, a direct sales company who offers a pink Cadillac as an incentive to its top earners. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Mary... Yes. 
Is it is it is it Mary Kay? Yes, it is. Okay, I couldn't remember. I I'm like I know it's a single syllable, but I don't know what. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Uh, last one for Sky. A documentary filmmaker who correctly predicted Donald Trump would win the presidency by appealing to Midwestern voters. Uh, um, Michael Moore. That's correct. Two points on there. Uh, so, um, Kyle, Kyle wins that one. Oh nice yeah. I, I had a tiebreaker and I'm oh. going to ask it just to, just to prove your worth. Wow. Whoa. Uh, raspy I mean, voiced singer of total eclipse of the heart. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, Stephen will be so mad at me. <laughs> oh no! It's uh... oh, I cannot think of her name. Oh, I got nothing. That is Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. Yep. Ah, oh, I was gonna say Bonnie, but I couldn't think of the of what the which one it was. What <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie? You were thinking like Bonnie, Bonnie Mary. Moore. More. I was, more? Think, I was actually leaning toward more, but I couldn't. I couldn't place it. Oh, All right, man. So you are starting tonight, Kyle. We are on Mary Tyler Moore, uh, so, fantastic <laughs> star of TV and movies and a stage, I believe. Yes, uh, I actually have been. Uh, I, I mean, <clears throat> in case people listening do not know already. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore died this past week, which was uh, a huge shame, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that she missed 2016. So, you know, that was very considerate of her, but, um, she, uh, I have been watching Mary Tyler Moore TV shows for the last week, just in, in sort of in honor of her. <laughs> um, I've actually been working my way back through. I don't know if I told you guys about this before, but like I've been watching the entirety of the Dick Van Dyke show because it's all on Netflix. Oh, right. Yeah. And I continue to be just repeatedly uh, surprised at how progressive that show was. Uh, it was, it was done in the sixties, but like very often there were so many times where like, I just finished a, an episode where uh she borrows the family car or rather Rob's car because he has his own car. Um, but she borrows his car to drive the, their kid to school. And, uh, in that episode, they make so many defenses to say that women are perfectly capable drivers. And like every time it comes up that that someone says like, well, you know, women drivers, everyone kind of like looks at the person like, seriously, really? Like, like there's it happened several times and then it ends up that uh Dick Van Dyke's character is a worse driver than she is. Like <laughs> that's and, and it's stuff like that. And I found out as well that um in that show it was still uh it was still really uncommon for women to wear pants on TV. Um it it's it happened, but uh pe- but the people who were sponsoring the show really wanted her character to be in uh, in dresses all the time, but she fought to have uh, at least include one scene every episode where she gets to wear pants, at least one. And it, I never thought about it until like I, until I knew that. But in every episode I've seen since then, I've noticed that she like there's one up one scene every episode where she's like actually doing something around the house and she gets to wear pants. 
and it's it's pretty neat that they that they you know that she was pushing for that even then like to be visible as a woman who can do things on her own uh even as uh someone who is you know running the house uh even in a time frame when that wasn't something that people really thought of um mm-hmm. or or at least push for anyway um but cool. as a person uh, she was uh, American actress known for her roles in the sitcoms The Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, in which she starred as Mary Richards, a single woman looking uh, working as a local news producer in Minneapolis. And the Dick Van Dyke Show, in which she played Laura Petrie, former dancer turned Westchester homemaker, wife and mother. That's cited four times. Wow. I mean... Make sure that, it's right. Yeah. I, I guess. That doesn't seem like something you need to cite multiple times. Uh, she did actually do uh, some film work as well, including Thoroughly Modern Millie and 1980s Ordinary People, uh, which I which I think won a, a couple Oscars, but I don't remember. Her first gig is a unique one. Uh, she first appeared on television as Happy Hot Point, a tiny elf dancing on hot point appliances and TV commercials during the 1950s series Ozzie and Harriet. Wow. Hmm. Uh, she appeared in 39 hot point commercials in five days and received approximately $6,000 for her work. Um, I'm not sure how that translates into modern money. <laughs> but that is a lot of commercials to shoot in five days. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a lot. Oh my goodness. Wait, and then she... Moore's first regular television role was as a mysterious and glamorous telephone receptionist on Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Private Detective. Oh yeah, gosh. I think that's... Yeah, you never you never saw her face in that show. It was only her voice and her legs. Amazing. Only her legs appeared on camera, adding to the character's mystique. That's cited. Someone actually was like, yes, we need to you, prove. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? What? The... The um the mayor's assistant in Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's kind of the same idea, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You never see her face. Wow. Um, have you? Do you guys remember um MTM Studios or MTM uh, Enterprises? I don't. I, I, I always not. like there were there were a number of shows back then where the MTM logo would show up and like it's it mirrored MGM. With its with its lion, but instead it was just a little cat. <laughs> oh my gosh! Going, oh, like, yeah. Going this. yeah, yeah. And I always just ima- I always just assumed that it was like a smaller division of MGM. Like this is MGM's TV, sure uh, division. <laughs> but it was actually Mary Tyler Moore's own production company. I like oh, wow. it. <clears throat> uh, founded with her husband Grant Tinker in 1969. Wait, what? What's his name? Grant Tinker. Amazing. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, produced shows including Rhoda, uh, The Bob Newhart Show, WKRP in Cincinnati, which is a great one, St. Elsewhere, Wait, and Hill Street Blues. Wait, she produced The Bob Newhart Show? Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, the cat in the logo is named Mimsy. Aww. Yeah. Nice. That's very cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, one other thing that I do want to bring up quick here, uh, that, um, 
Mary Tyler Moore, as far as her other TV show, the, the Mary Tyler Moore show, like that show had a slightly formative thing for me because uh, she is a journalist. And I, even as silly as that show is, like she is an actual, res- like she does the job. And I remember watching this as a kid and being and thinking like, oh, you could do this. <laughs> this is a thing you could actually do with your life. Like it, it looks like it is a good time and, you know, you, you make a difference. You can do things. And uh, like that always had I, I've always had kind of a soft spot for that show. I found out a while ago in one of the episodes that she was actually like they even they went so far to like define her as a journalist by like having her protect a source by going to jail for an episode. Like that was not something that I had thought of, but uh, yeah, I thought she was like, her character was not only funny, but you know, a very serious, you know, a professional. And that was, that was really cool as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, oh, one other element. Sorry. Oh, go on. Sorry, uh, the, show, the show was critically well-received. It won 29 Emmys in seven seasons. Holy Dang. cow. Uh, a record that was only broken in 2002 uh, by Frasier. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So where would you like to go All right, from the Mary so Tyler Moore page? I have a weird... And I don't know if this is me. It's been a long time since I've read Frankenstein. But I have a weird like mental image that. <sighs> I, a I mental feel, image of Ed Asner as the monster. Yes, actually, I could. Wow. Actually, that would work. You'd do OK. <laughs> um, no, I. Uh, I can't quite remember like what he's like, quote unquote, like costume was. But I feel like he wore a hat and I, I all right, just <laughs> stick with me on this. Okay. <laughs> I have uh, no idea where you're going. Toward the end of the, toward the end of the, epi- or at the end of the article here, they talk about uh, the opening of the Mary Tyler Moore show statue, uh, specifically that there's a statue in the city of Minneapolis dedicated to the moment in the opening credits where she throws her hat in the air. Um, <clears throat> Classic. It depicts, uh, yeah, the uh, the statues by sculptor Gwendolyn Gillen was located in front of the Dayton's department store, now Macy's, near the corner of 7th and Nicolette Mall. It depicts the iconic moment in the show's opening credits where Moore tosses her tam into the air in a freeze frame at the end of the montage, which is cited twice, by the way. Um, I kind of want to click tam <laughs> I, I knew you would. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try it. We'll... I this could go horrible for me, but I know that Sky is a very literary person and can get me out of this if necessary. <laughs> so it's funny. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, Sky. Where would you like to go? I'm between Elvis Presley and Ellen. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my god! Know. That's you know what? That is not a bad place to be. No. Let's just um, uh, let's just mo- bookmark that line for our title, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Halfway between the gutter and the stars. Mm. Halfway between Elvis and Ellen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Elvis is more like the. Actually, neither of them is the gutter. Elvis. So it's a bad metaphor. Eh, you know, that's true. Um, there's also Broadway here. 
And that <laughs> just might, in general. Yeah, just in general, you know. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to click. Hmm, you know, I'm going to click Elvis Presley. Yeah. Okay. See where that, see where that Man, takes us. Man, have we never been to Elvis's page? No. It's about dang time. Wow. I almost didn't pick it because I'm like, Elvis would be a really good like beginning or ending. But I picked uh, it now. I can I can guarantee that we will come come to a page near him uh, for one of my episodes soon. Uh, I I have a couple starting pages I want to play around with that are near him. So gotcha. You might uh, get another chance to try something else uh, related. That's awesome, though. Tam O'Shanter does link to uh, someone that we have mentioned in the past. Oh, we did, didn't we? Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Robert Burns. I forgot that we went there. <laughs> okay, well, hmm. I may have to, I, we may have to visit again, though, because I'm not seeing a lot of <laughs> a lot of else on here. Guess what? There's not a lot to say about Tam O'Shanter's, you guys. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like that there is there are sections in the Tam O'Shanter page for various types of the hat, and they're oh called Academic Tam, oh. Fashion Tam, the Fashion, fashion tam. tam, Tam. All right, so just, you know, broad strokes, the Tam O'Shanter, in the British military, often referred to or abbreviated to as TOS, is a name given Terms to... Terms of the, service. Yeah given to the traditional Scottish bonnet worn by men. The name derives from Tam O'Shanter, the eponymous hero of the 1790 Robert Burns poem. I did not so it's realize. it's a person's name. Oh, nice. I did not know that. I guess wow. Tam of Shanter? Uh, Is that? Tam of the Shanter, I guess? You can't sounds escape like Robert a, Burns. Sounds like a, <laughs> like a Middle Earth thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Tam O'Shanter is a flat bonnet originally made of wool, hands knitted in one piece, then stretched on a wooden disc to give the distinctive flat shape and subsequently felted. Uh, <laughs> there's felted all over the place. Uh, the earliest forms of these caps, known as a bl- blue bonnet, from their distinctive color, were made by bonnet makers in Scotland. What? Wait. What? They. <sighs> so this is a blue bonnet or is it a like hat what confused i'm confused why you're confused well because when i think of bonnet i think of like the like the like the little cap with the frill thing like an easter bonnet i suppose Uh, yeah and i'm not really seeing how these things are connected except i suppose the one is just stretched weird i think of a british car trunk so, oh, nice. Oh, so oh. I, have, I have not really been paying attention. I have been <laughs> looking at okay. the, uh, the entry for Tam O'Shanter, the poem. Oh, wonderful. And uh, it involves, it involves uh, this guy named Tam who likes to, he's a farmer who likes to go to the pub and get drunk. Nice. One night he's drunk on his horse Meg and he looks by the church and a bunch of witches are in there having a party and the devil is playing the bagpipes. What? Yep. Imagine, imagine that devil went down to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, oh my right, gosh! So, Just a second. Oh, now I gotta look for. I'm sorry. I gotta <laughs> see if anyone on YouTube plays "Devil Went Down to Georgia" on bagpipes. Okay. Well, while oh, you boy. do that, uh, the similar in outline to various types of flat bonnet common in the northwestern Europe during the 16th century. The la- later. Tam O'Shanter is distinguished by the woolen ball or touri, 
decorating <laughs> the center of the crown. It has a name. The yeah, I mean, they can't just call a, it the little fluff ball on the top of a hat. Yes, they you gotta could. give it a fan. I know they totally could. I'm <laughs> being facetious because <laughs> it's oh, like, okay. why, why is there a name for? I think we they just didn't they didn't have they didn't have iPhones. They didn't have computers. <laughs> they had nothing to do except sit around and be like, what should we call this 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 ball? Oh, you know the the Tory. Yeah, the oh Tory. the Tory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in case you need to know how to spell this when this pops up in a crossword puzzle, because I can't imagine another, another place where you would see it. Uh, Tori is spelled T O O R I E. Uh, not related to the political, uh, Tories. So I, I suppose, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, since the time of the Tam O'Shanter has been produced in a wider range of fabrics, such as serge in single colors, as well as tartan, women have also adopted a form of this hat known as a Tammy or Tam. I, it, isn't it, is it still the same hat? Is it like, still the same hat? You shorted it? Because now we do have iPhones it, and stuff, so we can't say all those <laughs> syllables. Oh my gosh, Sky, okay. So the, oh, the academic Tam. The velvet academic tam worn with a tassel is part of the ceremonial dress. It's the it's the mortarboard. They just wow. they just they stick just, a tassel on it. They just took a tassel on it and then they called it a hat, like a different yeah. kind of hat. Yeah, it's an academic tam. Oh man. Uh, although referred to as a tam, the academic tam derives from the Tudor bonnet rather than the Scottish tam shanter, and the cap is constructed of two pieces of either six or eight cuts, eight pointed cuts of fabric attached to a headband. Rather than the pie segments used in a tamashanter, uh, there's hey, also hey guys, the, guys, what? you talking about hats still? Y- yes, because I found Devil went down to Georgia on bagpipes. Of course you did. Of course you did. Are are you cool. listening to it? I was. <laughs> it was too much for me. Oh my gosh! All right, so I'm just going to guess that. The, oh my gosh! What's up? This this guy is wearing a a, a kilt. Well, yeah. And <laughs> oh man, he is he's rocking too, man. Yeah, he's putting his heart into it. He's putting something into it. <laughs> There's something going on there. I like I like how he's he's he has the kilt on. Yeah. Uh, but he's also rocking a pair of Converse. <laughs> <laughs> so he is. So you know what? Uh, the world of music is a beautiful place. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, uh, okay. Uh, all right. Well, this didn't go the way I'd hoped. Uh, well, I mean, not that I really thought it was going to go anywhere really great, but it kind of, I mean, of course it kind of did, but all right, let's see. Um, what can I do from here? Uh, the, yeah, there's the, I, I could actually check out the Tam O'Shanter page like that. That might get nah. me. No. <laughs> okay, fine. Jeez. Like the I mean, phone why, page? Why would you do that? I mean, Robert Burns is the, the next closest thing I can think of. Weird. Are, are Frank, you, Frankenstein's are you still... not a poem. I'm just saying. I don't know why it's good <sighs> poetry. Okay, well. I don't, I'm not seeing another thing on here that would be a better idea. Oh, man. I, 
yes, I realize I understand that this was easy to tell this is, this was not going to work out for me. I know. Just try going to Robert Burns again. Uh, I do you have do you have something in mind, Sky? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like you do. Yeah, it kind of does. What 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 are you doing, Sky? I was saying Mary Shelley him. wasn't a poet, really. Maybe she was. I don't know. No, I know, but no, she, I was she was married to a person who was. I, That's true. Damn it. I was hoping you didn't remember that. That's why I was yeah. like, no, I don't think you want to go to this. this oh, you're trying fella. to. Oh, oh wait. You're oh. being devious. Oh. Right. I'm clicking on Tam O'Shanter and also Sky. You were being way too sincere. Dang it. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> I was really concerned. I can't trust you with anything anymore. Oh, my gosh. You guys really believe that I was like, no, don't don't do that. Yes. No, it, yes it seriously I sounded like you were <laughs> you were looking at something else on that page and like, oh, man, he should really go there. Oh, no, I'm not on that page. What? <laughs> I'm not even looking. What? No, I don't look so at the page just, that you're on. You guys you just bluffed your way through that. <laughs> I'm just saying you shouldn't go. You shouldn't. I'm just saying you shouldn't. What, what I, mean, I already did. It's already done. I clicked on Tam O'Shanter. What I mean is I was trying to get to Percy Shelley is what I meant. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. I go through well, Elvis like a dope. Percy Shelley. All right. <laughs> let's do this. Yeah, oh, let's Percy. go to Elvis. Elvis. Uh, Elvis. There's like a number of stories about him eating a bunch of sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> which, which of course, if you if you go excited. to the chapters of Frankenstein, <laughs> where the monster samples several different sandwiches, you find yes. a link. Pres- Presley is commonly associated with rich sandwiches, including the Fool's Gold Loaf, which we talked about when we talked about the sandwiches that one time, mm-hmm. and uh, peanut butter banana bacon sandwiches, now commonly called the Elvis sandwich. Not um, commonly, I mean. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, there's this Robert Chris. Chris Gow, he's like a, a rock and roll critic, and he says uh, about Presley, I know he invented rock and roll in a manner of speaking, but that's not why he's worshipped as a god today. He's worshipped as a god today because in addition to inventing rock and roll, he was the greatest ballad singer the side of Frank Sinatra because the spiritual transcendence and reined in gut sexuality of his slow weeper and torchy pop blues still activate the hormones and slavish devotion of millions of female human beings worldwide. I admit that I did not. I read the top half of that when I started. <laughs> I was like, oh, this would be good to come back to. This uh, is going really, down a path. <laughs> I really liked rain in gut sexuality. And then I stopped reading. I'm like, that that sold me right there. So I'm like, all right, I'll go somewhere else. And then it's like, oh, well, okay. That's a weird thing to say, but whatever. That is um, weird. That's a yeah. weird thing to say, yes. <laughs> Uh, Elv- Presley's name, image, and voice are instantly recognizable around the globe, and he's inspired a legion, a legion of impersonators. It says, which is pretty legion. Great. We are legion. We are legion. Um, it talks about him being in. Have you guys heard the Memphis Mafia in relationship to Elvis Presley? No in relation. Uh, the circle of friends with whom Elvis Presley constantly surrounded himself in the early 1960s until his death came to no- be known as the Memphis Mafia uh, wow. because, and it says, surrounded by their pers- uh, parasitic presence, quote unquote, 
As journalist John Harris put it, it was no wonder That's that close. he slid into addiction and torpor. No one raised the alarm. To them, Elvis was the bank and he had to remain open. Ooh. Which is kind of a bummer. Um, wow. Tony Brown, who played piano for uh, Presley uh, a lot, um, observed his rapidly declining health and the urgent need to address it. But we all knew it was hopeless because Elvis was surrounded by that little circle of people, all those so-called friends. Which is really sad. They just let him... Yeah. Just let him disintegrate. Um, hmm. uh, Bob Dylan described the sensation of first hearing, uh, hearing Presley as like breaking out of jail. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like breaking out of jail. Um, man. So there's a lot of stuff on this page. Uh, I wonder if there's anything on his like death, like death theories. That's still a thing. <laughs> just, just in general. Just the like, questions on like the he, death theories. Like he didn't really die. Yeah. Um, oh wow. Oddly enough, um, he owned three pink Cadillacs. What? He must have been really good at selling Mary Kay products. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Way to go back to that. So I guess Sam, nice job. It's all that gut sexuality. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's how you sell sells, the cosmetics. Sells himself. You got to yeah. get into that gut sexuality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think what I'm going to do, <laughs> uh, man, I don't know if I have a horse in this race anymore, but I'm going <laughs> to click on Bob Dylan. You don't have a monster in this race. All right. Bob Dylan's a little bit more poetic than, than Elvis was. Bob There's Dylan a is a little more like Frankenstein. There's a monster yeah, at the too. end of this race. Yes. Ooh. Oh yeah. You don't like Bob Dylan. I forgot. Ooh. I, he has some <laughs> things that are respectable about him. Wow. But Whoa. I heard his Christmas album. I listened to the whole thing. Why? And because I had like, I don't know why. I guess I wanted to torture myself. Because hmm. <laughs> I, hmm. I, I had heard a piece of it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh-huh. And it was, I mean, it's also for charity, which is which is nice, of course. Yeah, but I decided I needed to listen to the whole thing. I needed to see how far that that went. And it went very far. Okay, well, uh-huh. that's too bad. I'm sorry. It's Bob okay. Dylan. Yep. All right. uh, so, Sam so, O'Shanter, the poem. Sam O'Shanter, the poem. First off, I got to share this this with you, you guys, uh, since we've been talking about him here. There's an image here. Apparently, he's used in some ads. Uh, this, this, uh, poster of him from, um, let's see, early 20th century, uh, a tobacco advertising using it, using an image of Tam. I just like that this, he looks very, he looks like he's very much enjoying that, that pipe, you know, just kind of chilling with his hat, with his, uh, his, his distinctive hat named after him. Yep. It, it, there's uh, a very Quaker Oats-ish kind of feeling to it. Oh, yeah. It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even make that. I didn't even uh, get there. But it's weird to me that he would be selling tobacco or really selling anything, given that he is basically known for running into the devil and some witches. Like, that's sort of what happens. And that's kind of it. Yeah, true. So anyway... <laughs> Like that seems like a weird thing to make to to sell tobacco around, but I guess there's stranger. 
So, uh, yeah, as Tim, as Tim already went through, uh, this is a poem about this guy who uh, happens to get drunk uh, at this pub and um, decides to uh, visit a – or he's, he's making his way home one night on his horse when the local – when he sees his local haunted church. Actually, I'm, as I'm reading this here, on the way, he sees the local haunted church lit up with witches and warlocks dancing in the devil playing the bagpipes. This means that they just have a local haunted church as though there are haunted churches like in other places, but you have your local one. Yeah. Like, huh. you're, like a brewery, you know, like contact oh, yeah, your local haunted church today. Just this off is the a craft specter. Yeah. yeah. Just off the interstate. Yeah. So it's a little, uh, it's a little bit more hoppy than most. <laughs> next to Lowe's. <laughs> So he uh, he checks out the uh, this, this ghost has a little hint of raspberry in it. Like it's just a raspberry ghost. <laughs> oh no! Scott. Can you taste it? Mm. No, it has. It's it's part of the local spirits. Oh man, it's ras- <laughs> raspberry. Yeah, oh, raspberry. Uh, <laughs> local spirits. So he uh, he goes and um, let's see. He's he said it says he's amazed to see the place bedecked. With so many gruesome things, such as gibbet irons and knives that had been used to com- commit murders and other macabre artifacts. What are gibbet irons? That's linked gibbet. here. Are they like handcuffs? Oh, find out. It's a um, it's a gallows, I guess. Oh, like. But I, I don't understand what an oh oh my oh, gosh you, oh you impale someone on it. Oh, Is this something I oh. should? Oh, okay. Wow. wow. I was not expecting that. Well, <laughs> I would you also don't always be amazed to see a place. I guess you can just hang it from them, hang them from it too. So I would also be amazed to see that uh, place bedecked with those. So yes, Tam, oh, I understand wow. your surprise. Um, the witches are dancing as the music intensifies. It's and a, this is a feel-good poem that you can drops. base many of your <laughs> advertising campaigns on. Yes, and. Now I, I just Hawthorne had to steal this, right? This is just it, I mean, Hawthorne it, this read this just, and he's like, I'm going to make a career out of this. <laughs> I'm gonna make a career out of writing about witches finding witches in the forest yes. and nothing else happening. Uh and, and upon seeing one particularly wanton witch in a short dress, he loses his Ooh. reason oh. and shouts, <clears throat> Wheel done, Cuddy Sark. And they they Translate the Cuddy Sark part. Cuddy Sark, C-U-T-T-Y hyphen S-A-R-K is a short shirt, according to this. But I don't know why he says wheel done. Wheel done. Uh, Immediately, the lights go out. The music and dancing stops. And many of the creatures lunge after Tam with the witches leading. Wow. Like the... Witches are in the lead with the devil right behind. Uh, and mm-hmm. Tam spurs Meg to turn and flee. Meg's the horse, by the way. Okay. And drives the horse toward the river dune as the creatures dare not cross a running stream, which I love is a, is a little bit of a uh, a little bit of uh, mythology that has been lost over time for some of these things. Like running streams basically stop everything undead. <clears throat> like Dracula yeah, can't cross a running stream on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh which I, I still love that, like, to get across any any kind of large water, he has to get on a boat. Yeah, and he packs himself in a car- coffin with dirt. Is like, it's all so right, great. 
<laughs> well, this is what we do. Her a bit. In in modern days, uh, the undead cannot walk past a running live stream. Nice. Wow. Wow. Okay. Mm. Well, I'm going to let that one sit. The creatures give chase. <laughs> And the witches come so close to catching Tam and Meg, they pull Meg's tail off just as, as they reach Poor the Brigodoon. No, Meg, this is a bad poem. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Meg. She lost her tail. Aww. Oh, man. Well, I, I mean, here the other end of this is that I can try to read some of this because it is not in a language that I understand. Uh... But mostly it is because I just can't, you know, Scottish doesn't roll off my tongue, so to speak. When Chapman and Billy's leave the street and Drouthy neighbors, neighbors spelled N-E-I-B-O-R-S, meet as market days are wearing late and folk begin to tack the gate while we sit bowsing at the nappy and getting foul and unco happy, U-N-C-O happy. <laughs> We think I think this is how it's read too. And getting foul and unco happy <laughs> on the Lang Scots Miles, the Mosses Waters slaps and styles. Slaps what? That lie and Ryan Styles. And our hey, yes, and Ryan Styles. Where sits our sulky sullen dame, gathering her brows like whoa, like gathering storm. Oh my gosh. Nursing her wrath to keep it warm. Uh so yeah, that's weird. The uh, last three lines there are pretty badass. A little bit, yeah. I, I do not understand anything on. before it, unfortunately. <laughs> I can see why this <laughs> caught on, but yes. Um, so, I mean, that's really it. I, I could go into the, uh, I mean, there's little bits here about like the cultural depictions. And, and specifically, they talk about the hat being named after this guy, Tam O'Shanter. Um there's a little note here that the it, it's not cited, it's not explained, but just <clears throat> the number of the beast by Iron Maiden is based loosely on this poem. End of sentence. End of description. Just done. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, I like this one, too. The Tam O'Shanter Urban Cottage on Bidston Hill, Wirral, Merseyside was named after the poem in 1837 after being built beyond a stream, which was said to repel witches. Like, just the stream itself just repelled witches. Mm. Uh, it attracts both Robert Burns fans and local witches and Wicca historians. So apparently it's not really great at that, I guess. Um, all right, so... So, I'm sorry, the, the end of the poem, after they barely make it, Meg without her tail... Oh. It becomes sort of a morality thing. And the conclusion is, Now what this tale a truth shall read, Ilk man and mother's son take heed, Whene'er to drink you are inclined, Or cutty sarks rin in your mind. So whenever you want to get drunk or think of shirts Shirts. that are too small for you. Yeah. Think you may, by the joys or dear, remember Tam O'Shanter's mare. Aww. Aww. Oh, Meg. And grab a <laughs> you cigarette. Just, you're thinking of, like, or being, a- like, uh, you're just thinking of debauchery, and then you're like, oh, that poor horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need, I need a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, I was going to go, like, they, they reference at the top, of course, they, they mentioned Robert Burns, and... Uh, there are some other things in here uh, referencing other poetry. 
However, something else caught my attention, and oh. it was not the devil playing the bagpipe. Uh, the site he sees is Alloway Kirk, a blaze in light. Uh, that's the name of the church, I believe, where a weird hallucinatory dance involving witches and warlocks, open coffins, and even devil himself is in full swing. The scene is told with grimly enthusiastic gothic attention to detail. Oh. And the word gothic is linked here, and I can't pass that up. That's That has to lead somewhere <laughs> related. Yeah, oh, that's pretty my. good. So I'm clicking it gothic. It leads to gothic fiction. Whoa. Well, oh there you gosh. go. That's the mother load right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay, pretty sure. Uh, let's go to Robert Allen Zimmerman. The gothic Ah, Robert Alex Zimmerman. Um, yeah, that's his. That's his name. That's wow. like that uh, was what the name he was born with. Uh, he had a younger brother, <laughs> David. So he's like, I kind of like, kind of like David better. I'll just be, I'll just call myself Bob Dylan. Because that's oh my gosh, that's that makes sense. Um, his grandparents <laughs> were um, Zygmunt and Anna Zimmerman, immigrated from Odessa in the Russian amp- Empire, now Ukraine, to the United States following the anti-Semitic. Uh, pogroms what's a pogrom uh it's an anti-semitic pogrom uh, of 1905 hunt, essentially yes don't like specifically yeah. uh, yes <laughs> jewish okay weird usually yes yeah so it makes you kind of wonder what like bob dylan's are being kept out of the united states right now hmm. um from hmm. you know middle eastern countries I, uh his this what? family's names are amazing though yeah it's real good his maternal grandparents ben and florence stone uh, were Lithuanian. He must have just been like, dude, my name, like, I, I, <laughs> Robert Zim, I just gotta, gotta come up with something better here. Uh, were Lithuanian Jews who arrived in the United States in 1902. Um, Dylan wrote in his autobiography that his parental grandmother's maiden name was Kurgitz. Kur- wow. Kirk, Kirks, and his family originated from Kagazman district of Kars Providence in northeastern Turkey. Uh, which is still open, though, because there are golf courses there. Uh, Dylan's father, uh, Abram Zimmerman, an electronic uh, appliance shop owner, and mother, Beatrice Be- uh, Betty Stone, were part of a small, close-knit Jewish community. Uh, they lived in Duluth until Robert was six, when his father had polio, and the family returned to his mother's hometown, Hibbing, where they lived for the rest of Robert's childhood. In his mm. early li- years, he listened to the radio, first to blues and country stations from shrev point louisiana and later when he was a teenager to rock and roll so amazing i always i always liked like the the beginning section of like celebrity and and um like well-known <laughs> like people like i always like reading about like where they came from and like oh yeah yeah they had like a mom and dad and a gr- and grandpa and a gram- grandpa they're, they're and real people the radio. yeah they're even real people. tom hanks is a real person he is <laughs> so good so good uh, here's Bob Dylan hanging out with Allen Ginsberg. Oh, dang. Uh, that's <laughs> neat. They look they look like quite quite the pair. Uh, Ginsberg is looking at the guitar like he's never seen such a thing in his life before. Like he's trying to kind oh of gosh. figure it out. Uh, <laughs> what is this? Yeah, he's like, what? Um. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a Christian period in here. In the late mm. 1970s, uh, Dylan became a born again Christian. I didn't know that. Released two albums of contemporary gospel music. Wow. Uh, Slow, Slow Train Coming in 1979. Um, and where's the other one in here? Saved by 19. So Slow Train Coming, going from like the most subtle, like 
Okay, that's, you know, you're going to have to read into that. Uh, saved. I was not expecting later. that. <laughs> yeah, he really he really learned to embrace Christian music really fast. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is how you do it? You just you just put saved as the album title and it's cool? Okay. Um, <laughs> he had a never-ending tour, uh, which was false advertising. Except it was pretty impressive, I guess. Uh, it, he's, it started in, on June 7th, 1988, and Dylan would play roughly 100 dates a year for the entirety of the 1990s and 2000s, which is like a heavier schedule than most performers who started out in the 1960s. So he was like, I didn't realize he was doing so many shows. Yeah, wow. that is impressive. <sighs> By May 2013, Dylan and his band had played more than 2,500 shows, cited twice, uh, Anchored by longtime bassist uh, Tony Garner, drummer George Reckel, Reseal, don't know, multi-instrumentalist okay. Donnie Heron, and guitarist Charlie Sexton. To the dismay of some of his audience, Dylan's performances remained unpredictable as he alters his arrangements and changes his vocal approach night after night. Critical opinion about his shows remained divided, which I could see because like the recordings like his voice is so weird and like so different <laughs> and so out there mm-hmm. yeah like I, I actually really like bob dylan but like it's so it's an iconic sound and you hear it in that recording over and over again a certain way and if you're suddenly he's up on stage doing it different it's gonna really be jarring to you i imagine mm-hmm. but then I, I would definitely give him the credit of if you're doing that many shows mm-hmm. just not why would you anymore? not want to switch it up yeah yeah and otherwise you're doing the same kind of thing every night even if you're playing different sets yeah you're still going to be performing those songs like so many times yep i don't i don't really fault him for wanting to yeah like experiment to try things mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's good uh there is a legacy section here oh man uh where did that go the dylan legacy legacy Starring- oh boy Starring, oh no, it's not Matt Damon. Who, wait, is he the guy who plays Jason Bourne? Yeah, Matt Damon does, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, it's Matt yeah. Damon. Okay, yes. Dang it, I, I would have landed that joke if I had just gone with it. Uh, yeah, Dylan has been described as one of the most influential figures of the 20th century, musically and culturally. Uh, he's included in the oh. Times 100, the most important people of the century, century where they call him a master poet, caustic social critic, and intrepid guiding spirit of the countercultural generation. Uh, This is fun. Uh, In a 2007 study of U.S. legal opinions and briefs, it was found his lyrics were quoted by judges and lawyers more than those of any other songwriter. That's interesting. 186 times versus 74 by the Beatles, who were second. Among those quoting Dylan were U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Antonin Scalia. Of course. Scalia, sorry. Both conservatives. The most widely cited lines included, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows from subterranean homesick blues and when you ain't got nothing you got nothing to lose from like a rolling stone wow 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 nice that's great mm-hmm. uh, it does mention there's a little part in here about that christmas album tim it says uh in a 2009 interview with bill flanagan uh promoting his uh, christmas lp christmas in the heart flanagan commented on the quote heroic performance unquote dylan gave of a little town of bethlehem and they <laughs> delivered the, and they quote delivered the song like a true believer unquote dylan replied well i am a true believer it's kind of nice but the heroic performance part is heroic yes yeah Mm -hmm. 
Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Oh man, this is. I, I kind of wonder how he is as like a person, if he's a little full of himself or not. <laughs> uh, at the Noble Banquet in Stockholm on December 10th, 2016, this just happened, Dylan's speech was given uh, by Azita Raje, U.S. ambassador to Sweden. The speech ended, like Shakespeare, I, am, I too am often occupied with the pursuit of my creative endeavors and dealing with all aspects of life's mundane matters. Mm. Uh, who are the best musician musicians for these songs? Am I recording in the right studio? Is this song in the right key? Some things never change, even in 400 years. Not once have I ever had the time to ask myself, are the songs literature? So I do <laughs> thank the Swedish Academy both for taking the time to consider the very question and ultimately for writing such a wonderful answer. Oh my gosh. Uh, whoa. <laughs> wow. I'm kind of like Shakespeare. Gracious. It is yeah. gracious. I guess it is gracious saying like Shakespeare never was like oh i'm writing literature you know he was like he just wanted to write about the stuff he saw around around him mostly jokes i guess that's cool yeah mostly mostly making up words for fart yeah i mean yeah you yeah. gotta give it to basically. him basically you gotta give it to him all right i'm trying to get to poetry uh <laughs> poetry shows up a bunch of times in here uh i don't think i don't think i'm gonna beat you though you're at gothic fiction man dang yeah. I'm, just, I'm just gonna <laughs> click on something to click on something i think do it uh, what do we got? And you know what? I think it's time for beat poetry. Oh my gosh. It's always time for beat poetry. Let's go to mm-hmm. beat poetry. It's beat o'clock. Which takes me to the beat generation. All right. Well, let's talk about some gothic fiction. Sure. <laughs> gothic fiction, which is largely known by the subgenre of gothic horror, is a genre or mode of literature and film that combines fiction and horror, death, and at times romance. That's a weird way to judge the demons. Yeah, I suppose. Its origin is attributed to English author Horace Walpole with his 1764 novel The Castle of Otranto, subtitled in its second edition A Gothic Story. Hmm. Uh, The effect of gothic fiction feeds on a pleasing sort of terror, which is a wonderful little sentence. Oh, man, yeah of romantic literary pleasures that were relatively new at the time of Walpole's novel. Um, all right. So I want to go just down into this article a little bit because I read a little bit of this and I, I knew, I mean, I know a little bit about gothic fiction, but I did not understand like, all right. Apparently at the time that this was, uh, that this became something that, uh, Horace Walpole, uh, made this, uh, he was trying to find a way to combine elements of the medieval romance, which was usually, de- uh, which he usually deemed too fanciful, and the modern novel, which was uh, usually considered kind of too strict. And so he created. Okay, uh, the basic plot created many staple Gothic generic traits, including a threaten- threatening mystery and an ancestral curse, as well as countless trappings such as hidden passages and the off-fainting heroine. Um, so, all right. He published the first edition of his story disguised as a medieval romance from Italy that was discovered and republished by a fictitious translator. What? So so it's so the first he, found footage. Yeah, basically, yes. Oh, oh yeah. yes, yes, yes. So this I didn't realize this kind of started with uh gothic ro- uh gothic uh fiction that this mm-hmm. was I mean like yeah, we this have is that. a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah, and so that way you could play around with quote unquote like what what what's perception, what's reality, what's the truth, right. and what's not. Yeah, uh, that's such an interesting idea. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, but what? Okay. Oh, interestingly, though, when Walpole admitted his authorship in the second edition, it, its originally fav- favorable re- favorable reception by literary reviewers changed to rejection. The reviewers' huh, rejection weird. reflected a larger cultural bias. Bias. The romance was usually held in contempt by the educated as tawdry and debased. And uh, the genre had gained some respectability only through the works of Samuel, Samuel Richardson and Henry Fielding. But then the romance with superstitious elements and more, moreover void of didactical intention, I suppose, and teaching in this like morality tales oh, yeah. uh, was considered a setback and not acceptable. Nice. So the fake documentation apparently made a big deal for him. Um. I want to I want to scroll down a little though uh, when they talk about the uh, how Germany took a, took on the idea of the Gothic fiction of Gothic fiction they they came up with a couple different names for types of novels that were um, Gothic novels because of course they did because Germany has names for everything multiple names okay <clears throat> they have German Gothic fiction is usually described by the term Schauer Roman which I'm guessing is how that's pronounced, but it's literally the, a shudder novel, which I love. Nice. And then there's the Geister Roman, which is a ghost novel, the Rauber Roman, the robber novel, and the Ritter <laughs> Roman, the chivalry novel. Robber novel. Robber novel. Robber novel. Robber novel. Robber novel. I like all of those. Um, and then, uh, farther down the page, they actually have like the, uh, some of the, the elements of Gothic fiction. Um, some of my favorites being here, a virginal maiden, the older foolish woman, the hero, the tyrant or villain, the bandits or ruffians. Uh, and then <laughs> I like the entry here for clergy uh, uh, dash always weak, usually evil. <laughs> uh, um, the uh, I'm pretty sure all of these are are major arcana in uh, tarot cards, too. Um, yeah, so they, they have a lot of different things in here about Gothic uh, Gothic fiction. What do you guys what, do you guys like reading Gothic fiction? I I actually I, I like it occasionally, but I didn't yeah. go through this page. There's so much of this I didn't even realize I haven't even come across yet. Yeah, I like it does. in small doses, I think. <laughs> Do you it's think like, House of Leaves would count as gothic fiction? Oh, totally. House of, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it that's, would. Yeah, found footage on its own and then, uh, you know, the mysterious and the. Yeah, yeah and the I, mysterious, I, but also like ultimately a romance ultimately well also just like yeah it's 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 weird like how how does it describe gothic i really like that first sentence that that you Uh, said a pleasurable kind of horror pleasurable Mm -hmm. kind of like that's that's it's such a good way to describe it because like yeah it has this pleasurable like i need to know what happens but it's horrific in a way because it's so weird but it's i don't know it's it's a good good description uh, um, re- related, um, if you guys haven't read the series of unfortunate events, that series, uh, the TV version of it just came out on Netflix and it's amazing. Is it really good? If I, if uh, I haven't seen the books, I'll, I'll like it. Haven't seen the books. 
yeah, if you haven't I seen, seen the books, I haven't read. I haven't read them. <clears throat> Stephen, oh, Stephen, shaking his head. Yeah. Okay. So no, what? I won't. I, did like I won't it. watch it then. Stephen, <laughs> no, Stephen's calling me out. He's saying that I didn't like it that much. I do like it a lot. If he's, he's got an opinion, he okay, should guess yeah. on our podcast. All right, the TV show and the movie. He's he's signing at me. The TV show and the books are not the same. No, they are different. The books okay. are better than than the show. I wasn't. What? I did not I don't, cry. I don't believe it. That never happens. Yeah, come on. The books better than the than the TV show or movie. <laughs> um, either way, it, it is very much gothic fiction in that lots of terrible things happen. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I did not. I did not like gush about the show. That's correct. Yes. If you guys could hear the signs that he's doing right now, <laughs> I can feel him swishing, cutting through the air. Now, is, is uh, the second season of Voltron Gothic? <laughs> I don't think it is. Stephen, would you consider the second season of uh, Voltron Gothic fiction? He's making a silly face. Oh, it's like no, that's a new one. He he's waving his hand across the his stars, the sun, the sun, space, space, space small person. I don't know what you're doing. These these signs aren't real signs now. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, he's ad libbing. <laughs> All right, so um, <laughs> what? I your uh, X. Rx. All right, you're not making sense now. So you've been. Uh, I'll come in. As, I'll I'll get back to you in a second. I'm sorry. You've you've been dancing around this, Kyle. But I don't this, know what you're talking about, Tim. This this page is just filled with Mary Shelley. Just chock full of Mary Shelley. Yes. Yeah, I figured you were dodging around it. Like, <laughs> I figured we talked about everything that wasn't Mary Shelley so far. There's actually, actually, this no, is an exhaustive of- <laughs> article. Yeah, no, no, there is I a ton of ev- stuff in here. I skipped nearly everything about Russia mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of Germany. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she she definitely shows up in the first uh, paragraph, paragraph of this article I, and yeah makes regular appearances throughout the rest of it. <laughs> She's like, hey, hey guys, I did this. Mm-hmm. This was me. I made this happen. So yeah, I'm clicking on Mary Shelley. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I did not think I was going to win this this time. <laughs> yeah, well, as soon as yeah, as soon you as had, it's like you had Robert an interesting Burns, start. I'm like, oh man, dang. <laughs> He's gonna go to Robert Burns. I know he is. Maybe I was maybe, going maybe to work. Um, yeah, when I was doing my explorations of where to where to take this this episode, I did click on Tam Shanter once and I'm like, No, eh, there's there's nothing I'll be able to get from this. Hats. And I backed out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, so I yeah, I was wrong. quite surprised to find out that you made it through this. That's right. Nice never, work. <laughs> never count out the Tamashanter, I guess. I don't know. Don't unless in, underestimate no. <laughs> the Shanter. I don't know what lesson to learn from this. <laughs> uh, is there anything you wanted to say about beat poetry, Sky? Yeah, I was gonna say I was like I've been looking over to the beat poetry, the beat poetry page, and like there's not I haven't run into anything that's like too, you know Beating? interesting. Yeah, yeah. Out, like out there enough to mention, you know what I mean? Like it's just a lot of stuff that, you know, if you're I guess if you're not familiar with 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 like the beat generation, um, 
It's a hard thing to describe. Uh, <laughs> the first paragraph of this Wikipedia article attempts to do it by oh, the boy. following. Uh, the beat generation is a literary movement based on it by a group or a movement started by a group of authors whose work explored and influenced American culture and politics in the post-World War II era. So <clears throat> postmodernism was kind of into play and people after the war sort of wore off, people became uh, disillusioned to the idea of like the American dream, especially near the end of the 1950s. And so I guess that's kind of where it came from. Uh, central elements of the beat culture are rejection of standard narrative values, spiritual quest, uh, exploration of American and Eastern religions, rejection of materialism, explicit portrayals of the human condition, experimentation with cycle psych- with psychedelic drugs and sexual liberation exploration, like creating, creating bombs that could basically end us really messed with our minds. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, and messed with our culture. And like this, this is almost a direct answer to that of, um, you know, if, if we've created this thing based on basically just our, our culture and science that can just wipe us out. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like what, well, how, how do we kind of go forward and how long do we have to go forward? Oh my gosh. Uh, maybe we just need to take shrooms and see what happens. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Postmodernism is weird. Yeah, that's um, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's it's weird to imagine like pre pre bomb, you know, pre even just like modern warfare. Um, just yeah. the idea of like like I think I think now we kind of live we do live in this postmodern world where it's like yeah we can we can create stuff, but there's a cost to that. One, there's a cost, and two, it's extremely dangerous. Like anywhere we go, going ahead, you know, whether we go into space. You know, whether we're we're trying to come up with with, you know, new ways of fighting sickness, like there's always there's always a possibility that we're just going to create another super bug or, you know, what I mean, like there's all these. Sure. There's all these checks where before there wasn't as much, I don't think like I think it was much more like or oh, no, they the were just less visible. Yeah. yeah. The sky's the limit. The hum- You know, we're just going to keep going. Um, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. So uh, the it's actually- poetry is kind of the. Um, I guess the poetry's um answer to this sort of thing in a way that actually uh, reminds me uh one of the other podcasts that i listened to the the antique radio phonograph hour yeah um they did an episode once i don't know if i told you guys about this they did an episode once where they uh only did music like generally speaking it only this this podcast only plays music from like 19 well very early 1900s to like 1920 or to the thirties, essentially, uh, where it's all music that can be played on a phonograph, uh, non-electric, mm-hmm. you know, record playing, uh, and and most of it's like non-electric recording, even too. So, but they did a whole episode once where they played only music that came out during like the atomic age, and how musicians reacted to that. Oh yeah, and it. I mean, oh man, I'll have to try and try to find that episode again. But it was, it was really fascinating hearing how, uh, like, even musicians were like, well, the way that we talk about technology similarly, but like some of the musicians were like, well, this is it, you know, like this is, yeah. Can you do you remember like any last record, like general examples that they gave, like were they just much Mm -hmm. more experimental? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, like, and some of them were just playing around with some ideas, and and others were. Uh, there were a lot of musicians that did like the. This is the moment. This is the come to Jesus moment. Like, hey, you better get things right because uh, gotcha. uh, I don't know if you heard, but we made this thing. <laughs> yeah, scary. Yep. There's also um, okay. two sections on here, one after the other. That's <laughs> they're titled "Beatniks" in quotes. And then hippies in quotes. Wow. <laughs> I just think that's really funny. Uh, that's that's all I got to say about the beat generation. All right. Wonderful. Mary well, Shelley. Mary Shelley. Cool lady. Another cool yeah, lady. Yeah, she's real cool. Um, all right. <clears throat> Mary Wollenstonecraft Shelley, uh, nay, Godwin. Uh, was an English novelist, short story writer, dramatist, essayist, biographer, and travel writer. Did not realize she wrote travel articles. Best known for her gothic novel Frankenstein or The Modern Prometheus, which is a much better title. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. It's real Uh, good. What's that? It's real good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good title. Uh, She also edited and promoted the works of her husband, the romantic poet and philosopher Percy... I actually don't know how to say his middle name. Bichet? Bichet? Like, yeah, probably. Hmm. <laughs> her father was the philosopher, political philosopher William Godwin, and her mother was the philosopher and feminist Mary Wollstonecraft. Uh, so apparently, uh, well, I don't know, Tim, have you read more of this page than I have here? Because I, I haven't gotten very far down. I was listening to Sky. Uh, I did. I did look into it some. Okay. Uh, interestingly, Mary and Percy basically began meeting each other at her mother's grave. What? And that's where they fell in love. What? That yep. sounds know this. <laughs> like a great thing for both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? And yeah, I mean, and on June 26, on, yeah, June 26, 1814, uh, Mary Godwin at the time declared her love for Percy Shelley at Olson Crafts graveside in the cemetery of St. Pancras Old Church. Oh my gosh. And that's, well, uh, that's I romantic. mean, I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna be known for a, a gothic novel primarily. That yeah, that's actually a that makes sense. <laughs> good element to put in your backstory. Not not that I expected she was planning. <laughs> that, um, but I mean she I'm gonna she definitely had really some tough scary elements. Someday. Yeah. She definitely had some tough elements in her life though. Yeah, uh, she um, her her father oh, did not approve of Percy Shelley. Yeah. Do you want to know why? Well, yeah. Why? <laughs> All right. So I'm on Percy Shelley's page here. Uh, four months after being expelled from Oxford on 28th of August, 1811, the 19 year old Shelley eloped to Scotland with a 16 year old Harriet Westbrook, a pupil at the Whoa. same boarding school as Shelley's sisters, whom his father had forbidden him to see. Uh, Harriet Westbrook had been writing Shelley passionate letters, threatening to kill herself because of her unhappiness at the school and at home. Shelley heartbroken. Shelley heartbroken after the failure of his romance with his cousin, Harriet Grove cut off from his mother and sisters and convinced he uh, and convinced he had not pretended to disapprove, but secretly encouraged the elopement. Oop, nope. And convinced he had not long to live. Uh, impulsively decided to rescue Harriet Westbrook and make her his uh, beneficiary. Oh my gosh. 
Harriet Westbrook's 28-year-old sister, Eliza, to whom Harriet was very close, appears to have encouraged the young girl's uh, infatuation with the future uh, baronet. Uh, Hmm. There's there's more stuff, but it's long and drawn out. Like this this marriage (laughs) section is one, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs long. Amazing. Well, yikes. Yeah. On July. Here's here's one on July 28th, 1814. Shelley abandoned Harriet, now pregnant with her son, Charles, and he ran away to Switzerland with Mary, then 16. So how old was he? Uh, He was 25. Oh, my gosh. Okay, he's a mess. What? Yeah, he he is wild. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, he he invited um, her sis her stepsister Claire Claymont, also sixteen, because she could speak French. The older sister Fanny was left behind to her great dismay, for she too had fallen in love with Shelley. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why do people keep falling in love with this dude? Then after six weeks, they he's were got destitute. That, he's got that gut sexuality. That gut, <laughs> gut sexuality. sexuality. Yes. yes. The, the Elvis of the early 1800s. Uh, mm-hmm. After six like weeks, they Elvis. had to come back because they ran out of money. Yep. Oh um, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Anyway, Mary Shelley had a lot to be sad about regardless. Besides, besides Percy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I understand I mean, why they hung out with Lord Byron, though. Well, okay. He was a yeah. lord for one. I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, um, they, uh, I mean, her mother died when she was young. And then I didn't realize that she, I, th- I knew she had one, one child who had died. According to this, um, let's see, uh, upon Shelley, uh, upon Mary and Percy Shelley's return to England uh, after traveling through Europe, uh, she was pregnant with Percy's child. Over the next two years, she and Percy faced ostracism, constant debt, and the death of their prematurely born daughter. And it's not the first time, or I mean, that, okay, so that child died. And then later on, uh, their second and third children also died. And then um, only her fourth child survived uh, to to adulthood. I mean, that's terrible. I That that's just got to destroy you as a person. <laughs> um, and then, uh, Percy, uh, died in, in a sailing accident, uh, in 1822. So, I mean, like, yeah, this lady's had some problems. Yeah. She had a lot of reasons to be sad. Yep. Yeah. And she's talented. Oh my like gosh! Frankenstein's a genuinely, genuinely like a good novel. I I was uh, I used to make it a a thing to read this. I have oh, a yeah. really well annotated version of it. I keep meaning to I do it. I remember someone did, and I couldn't remember who it was, but it was you. Yeah, you read it like yeah. you read it around Halloween every year. Every year, and it's so good. And the annotations in it are just really clever and and bring a lot of. Uh, well, yeah, bring a lot in of from the from well from that summer, you know, when they're talking about this this story that was uh, made up as as part of their summer, uh, you know, right. stuck in stuck in uh, stuck inside. So they were coming up with horror stories, 
right. and she came up with the capital horror like the the horror story mm-hmm. um and it was uh it's it's so well done and so well put together uh but it's i mean that story is just so incredible um the first time i read the the actual i guess kind of birth scene or rebirth scene of the monster like I'm used to in the movies with the the lightning crackling sure. and the you know and Frankenstein with the it's a lot you know yep. but um the actual story has it as like a quiet and you know just lit by candlelight and uh you know just blood everywhere but um like it's actually so quiet it's unnerving the description of it is just really unsettling, but in such a beautiful way. Um, yeah, I think it, she, I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I think she does horror a little bit better, at least in my opinion, than like Lovecraft does, because I like oh, what yeah. Lovecraft does. But I feel like he's very good at at trying to describe the undescribable. Right. But but there's only so far you can take that, I feel like. Yeah. Um. For for me, yeah, like uh, books like Frankenstein click a little bit more. Even Dracula click yeah. a little bit more in the horror of of what it entails, as opposed to just oh man, these things are real scary and weird, isn't it? Like real weird tentacles, milky tentacles coming <laughs> at you, and it's like yeah, I guess. I but. guess. I feel like uh, Lovecraft yes ands a lot of his horror. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. And she and she experiences it, maybe, is a better way to say it. I don't know. Yeah, his are definitely more like campfire stories in a way. Yeah. Like like you could see you could somebody just like, and then the beast was there and, da, 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 and it had big claws and you just kind of <laughs> fill in those gaps. And it's like, yeah. okay. And then they were never heard from again. That's a lot a lot of times too. That's how the stories ends where it's like, oh, this weird <laughs> thing happened. This guy saw it. Oh, weird. The end. <laughs> but he was also writing serial you know works and so pretty much the equivalent of television shows as opposed to writing a novel but anyway uh, Stephen, yeah Stephen would like me to point out that uh she wrote frankenstein to cope with the psychological guilt of her mother dying dying in childbirth was which was also a thing i forgot to mention from the top yeah she's been mm-hmm. she had a rough time that her mother died in, chi- in in childbirth for her yeah. Yeah, so the fact that she was visiting her grave when she met she met this douche per- person. <laughs> All oh, the poets so, back, back then. I mean, because if you were a poet, you were pretty much a spoiled rich kid. So I guess it makes sense. Yep. Like if you could afford to be a poet, then you're probably a douche. But eh. so she, anyway. in fairness, she. In fairness, he encouraged her to actually take the story and and actually make a novel out of it. So yeah, that is mm-hmm. good. I mean, so they did have financial struggles uh, through life. Uh, finally, toward the end, she was able to be independent, she and uh, her son. Mm. But then she had to start facing blackmail. What? Uh, in the mid-1840s, Mary Shelley found herself the target of three separate blackmailers. In 1845, an Italian political exile called Geteshi whom she had met in Paris, threatened to publish letters she had sent him. A friend of her son's bribed a police chief into seizing Gatechi's papers, including the letters, which were then destroyed. Shortly afterward, Mary Shelley bought some letters written by herself and Percy Shelley from a man calling himself G. 
Byron, oh, calling himself G. Byron and posing as the illegitimate son of the late Lord Byron. Oh my gosh. Also in 1845, Percy Shelley's cousin Thomas Medwin approached her claiming to have written a damaging biography of Percy Shelley. He said he would suppress it in return for 250 pounds, but Mary Shelley refused. Yeah, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, nobody exactly. Already, like, already doesn't know. Yep. Everyone knows he's kind of trash. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. I think he was a pretty decent poet too. I haven't read a lot of his. I read a lot of his stuff in the stuff that I have read. I read in in college, and I. I was gonna say that's oh, where wow. I read anything of the his. Most, the most part on the but. on the first anniversary of Mary Shelley's death, the Shelleys opened her box desk. Inside, they found locks of her dead children's hair, what? a notebook she had shared with Percy Shelley, and a copy of his poem Adonai, with one page folded around a silk parcel containing some of his ashes and the remains of his heart. Yeah, the Victorians were all about wow just being Keeping creepy. Those mementos, <laughs> with dead yeah. people, yeah. Like wow, but, <laughs> yeah. That probably doesn't seem weird to them. No, no, mm. I'm sure it didn't. That that's super weird, especially when people are dying <laughs> at like forty. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. All right, well, cool. Congratulations, Kyle. Two cool Yay, ladies on uh, making it tonight from Mary to Mary. Oh, uh, some of the coolest Marys out there. They are. I mean, there are a lot of Marys out there, and I would put these definitely within the top twenty. Oh, yes, agreed. Yeah. Uh, and thank you, uh, listening public, for listening to us tonight. If you would like to listen to more, uh, we are of course on iTunes, uh, on Google Play now as well, and uh, you can also find us many other places where podcasts are presented to your uh, listening pleasure. To your ears. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, you would like to leave reviews, please do. We would love to hear what you uh, have to say about us. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Facebook at We Should Know Better or on Twitter at WSKBcast. Yes, I was going to yeah. say dot com, but you don't have to do that in Twitter. Actually, Tim, it's WSKBcast Monster. Monster. Oh. What? It's, it's, it's not the hmm. they didn't get it steven's steven shrugging at me i it's got not, it i'm <laughs> it's sad not frankenstein it's not frankenstein's, frankenstein's monster oh i didn't i didn't hear the possessive in there oh, sorry. i'm like wskb cast monster i'm like yes uh, it is sponsored by monster energy drinks monster. now didn't you hear no, we are we are definitely i'd say monster. we definitely are the are the monsters in this yes Monster there energy drinks monster at the end of came this podcast. To us. In, internet that- culture is the Frankenstein. We are the monsters. <laughs> okay. Good night, everyone. Yep. Have a good night. Uh, but yeah, if you would like to drop us a line, please do. We would love to hear from you. Yep. Uh, until then, uh, is there anything you guys would like to say? Well, I had a good Monster Energy drink joke, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh wow! I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to uh, preempt okay. your jokes, guy. You guys, you guys actually, let's thing. roll it back. Here, do the do the last line again, uh, Tim. The last the the WSKB cast uh, thing again, and do that no. again, and, and we'll do Sky's joke too. No, it's okay. okay. Uh, you can find <laughs> us at WSKBcast. <laughs>
That's not the joke part, though. <laughs> Dot com? I was just you brought, you brought a WSKB cast monster, and I was like, oh, yeah, because we're sponsored by Monster Energy Drinks now. They came to us and said, the demographic of your podcast fits perfectly with our... It's like a complete circle on the Venn diagram. Like, they, the people that drink Monster and the people that listen to your podcast are the same. Amazing. People See, who drink Monster are definitely interested in it's funny because random it's not facts true. about Mary yeah. Shelley and Tam yeah. Shanters. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So don't... You know so what, just, though? And no, wait, wait, that. you know what? Percy Shelley would drink Monster Energy drinks oh, totally, alive yes. today. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Red Bull. <laughs> Red Bull is the one that, that does all these different, like, esoteric competitions, like the Wingman and yeah. breakdancing yes. competitions and stuff. So, maybe they, maybe Red Bull would be interested in uh, Wikipedia competitions. So, our next episode will have to be about wings. Yep, we're going to have to do wings. All right, sounds okay. good. Uh, I think it's your turn, Kyle, so it's up to you. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this little tidbit. I got Yakuza 0. Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, and I was playing some of it um, last night, and I there's a lot, there's like a ton of like little sort of they're not really side quests, but they're just like little like side cutscenes that you can run okay. into. Like I, I was like walking around, and there's just a side alley that I saw I could walk into. So I like walked in there and went run around a corner. And this is Tokyo, so it's like all these you know really small little side alleys and stuff. I walk okay. in there, and there's a there's like a guy in a big coat, and he's like, "Hey man, like do you want some mushrooms?" And I'm like, "He's and my character's of course like no, like I'm not really into that man." He's like, "No, they're really good, like." You know, they'll they'll get you what you need and stuff. And like it turns out this guy's just selling like mush like mushrooms. Like, like just mushrooms. <laughs> like just to yeah. eat. Like he wants you to buy mushrooms to put in hot pot and stuff like oh, that. Oh man, that sounds amazing. Yeah, and so this other guy comes and is like, Oh yeah, I want some mushrooms. Of course he wants the act the other kind of mushroom. Yeah. And the yes. guy gets very confused and is like, Well, I have, you know, some some, some nice ones here. And- yeah, some shiitakes and <laughs> and <laughs> so this guy gets pissed and i have to like beat him up because that's what this game is apparently i mean and yeah. uh he gets sad and runs away and the mushrooms guy's like thank you so much for saving me um i'm in your debt and then a friendship bar comes up on the top and it goes <laughs> up to friendship level two and i don't know what that means but wow. then a screenshot co- a screen comes up and says your friendship level with mushroom man has increased uh, like, man. like maximize the friendship level to see what happens and it's like what what? I didn't even know this game had friendship <laughs> levels. Does only Mushroom Man have a friendship level? Is this the only friend I can make? I don't know. But I bought I bought like this mushroom off of him that was like pretty expensive, but it was called like the the Manatake mushroom or something. Okay. And the description was just King of the Mushrooms. Oh dang. And I bought it and I can't eat it. I can't do anything with it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it, but now I have it. <laughs> 